Hi team, and welcome back to this week's e-commerce experts. Firstly, I have to say a huge thank you to everybody who has listened, liked, commented, or subscribed on the episode so far. We really, really appreciate your support on this project and hope you are gaining as much insight into what successful brands are doing at this moment in time in order to leverage this e-commerce world that we now live in. So this week's episode is with David, co-founder and CEO of Outkit. For those of you that haven't heard of Outkit, I absolutely love their lo- their slogan. It's go nice places, do nice things. Simple and to the point. Their crowdfunding raised 1.5 million in under an hour in order to help support take the brand to the next level. They really listen to their consumers in a way that many brands don't and take on their advice, wisdom and comments on their feedback on their products in order to make them better. But not only that, their store creates a community. It encourages people to meet up, encourages people to go and do outdoor activities. Even if you don't know anyone in the area, they have registered guides that can take you. So there's a lot more to this brand than I think I ever realized. And I think you're going to enjoy this episode as much as I did. So without further ado, here he is. Um, well, David, thank you ever so much uh, for joining us this week. I really appreciate you taking time on what is feels like the hottest day of the year. Yeah, no, thanks, Hannah. It's a pleasure. No, you're welcome. It was funny. We were talking just before we clicked record, but actually the question I wanted to ask you, I said, well, we may as well click record because yeah. I'm fascinated. How did you go from EY to the BBC to Thornton's to go outdoors and, and then end up founding your own business? Well, <laughs> that's a really interesting career. Well, it's funny, with hindsight, I kind of think every step is, makes sense and you can see how I ended up here. I mean, way back, I did start as an accountant. I got two jokes. One is I just started through the alphabet and accountant was first, so I joined that and I needed a job. And I actually thought it was and still do one of the best kind of business, general business qualifications you can take. It's, I think it's really good. I've worked for Ernst & Young. And then I went with Ernst Young internationally and ended up coming back to the UK and ended up at the BBC, which is a job I loved. But at that point, I really loved the outdoors as well and wanted to move out of not working a city and ended up in the Peak District in Derbyshire. So I quit and quit the BBC. And then around Derbyshire, there's all these towns that you can work in. And most of the other jobs I had was all en route in retail to an outdoor company called Go Outdoors. And I was joined the board as FD there and had a really great six years. And after that, I was feeling really capable and so quick because I wanted to do my own thing. And looking back, I think I always wanted to do, to do my own thing. And that's when I started going around and got involved with Outkit. Amazing. I think that's interesting that you said at that moment you felt prepared. Because yeah. actually, I know a number of people who are in businesses at the moment, but you can tell they're they're itching you know they're waiting to set up their own thing they just haven't yet got enough experience so interesting that that journey is is what made and was it a moment where you knew you knew like now I'm ready I don't think it is there wasn't a kind of a a particular moment where you think right now is the time yeah so I think thinking in a way I always wanted to do my own thing and I I did feel ready for it and it's a career choice where I was definitely at a crossroads and I, I leapt without a safety net and fortunately it's so far still touch wood it's worked out 
It absolutely has. I was going through your website and I was looking up OutKit and I enjoyed that it said the story of how OutKit was born was a passion of the outdoors and not accepting the price for high performance gear. Is that what you felt when you took that gap? You you saw the space in the market and thought, let's, oh, and the other line is ordinary people trying to make something extraordinary. So one of the aspects is because particularly with product is how you can um, develop what you think truly is great, great product and you can sell direct to customers. And I love that aspect of really having a customer at the forefront of your mind and living in the peak park with Kinder on the doorstep. You feel you're with your customers all the time and you can relate back to what you're doing. I think a product is ours when you'll take it to the Alps, but if it works on Kinder, it's definitely for us. But then alongside that, when you make the best product, there's so much that stands in the way between a great brand and a customer. I see the big brands spending millions saying how great their products are. And then I see retailers spending millions how cheap they are. And I kind of thought, well, if you take that out of the equation, then you can actually have a lot of fun. And you're designing product genuinely for customers. And ultimately, I, I like the idea of making product accessible. It's not that we're cheap at all, because when you sell 200 pound jackets, that's a big deal for people and thousand pound bikes. It's a lot of money. So no way is it cheap, but we try and make sure that it's accessible and as great product as you can. And the elitism of sport, I don't really relate to at all. It's not something that particularly interests me, that kind of aspect. And actually, if you were to look at the outdoor market, the outdoor the outdoor adventure market, you know, those consumers, they're not yeah. elitists. That's no, actually not. not what it's about for them. It's an intrinsic joy yeah. rather than... Yeah. Um, looking good. I, I mean, mean, cyclists are different because, you know, that's a whole <laughs> different market. Well, there's, there's cyclists and, and cyclists. So definitely, <laughs> you, you get into the outdoors because you love wild places, you love natural spaces, and it's free. You know, you can go for a run in a pair of cheap, and we've all been up Snowden in cheap trainers and, and cut off jeans. And then you find yourself two years, three years later, and you add up what you're wearing, you think, geez, how am I spending? How am I wearing 500 pound stuff to actually do something that's that's free? So I like that aspect of good pricing. And I think it keeps you sharp as well, it keeps you sharp in your thinking if you're trying to deliver great product, but also be accessible. So it's interesting that you mentioned about the DTC and the fact that you guys are direct to consumers only. Is that is that going to be the continual theme throughout as your brand grows? You're not going in retailers? Oh, totally. But, I mean, we're retailers, so we've got our own stores. But I really like that that moment where when you, a customer's buying something, in particularly for the outdoors, they're kind of they're buying it because of places they can go, and there's a big emotional connection with, with the product. And I want to be at that point, but take it right back to the supply chain. So when we're in factories talking about design and how we make stuff, actually having the end customer in mind is really, really important. It makes you better, I think. You've mentioned how close you live to Kinder. Do you ever just go out the back and stop the walkers coming past and just ask them about kit while you're there? Well, definitely when they're wearing outkit stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, not me as well. Who needs, who needs customer research when you yeah, could just put a yeah. little post out there? Well, and sometimes I wish, in fact, I might give them a card because some products have directly come. But there's a guy who said, you know, that tent you make, if it's only 15 centimetres longer, it'll be brilliant. And we've made one 15 centimetres longer. And there's another guy with a particular gilet. And he said, I want the pocket on the inside, not on the outside. And I hope he's spotted that. And we've got sure one. Oh, you should definitely. You you almost need a suggestions box outside your back garden just to say if there's anything you're missing, put it in here. That'd yeah, be brilliant. Yeah. 
Yeah. I can see a PR campaign coming. Yeah. And actually, you communicate with your customers in an incredibly delicate way. And you are one of them. And, and I think you identify as being part of them. You know, it's this whole ordinary element. How do you think that tone of voice helps you cut through the noise or... What do you think gives well, you that advantage? The tone of voice is definitely different. Sometimes when you see the queue of people going up Everest and it makes the headline news, and when you soon pan out of that shot and you see people going up Everest in this area where there's so much, so much space, sometimes I liken the the people going up Everest, almost every other brand is that is represented by someone there. And there's somebody out in a remote peak, which is Alpkit. And I'm I'm happy that way. And in the UK, there's some real hot spots which are busy, busy, busy. And you don't have to go too far away to actually have the hills to yourselves and you hardly see a soul. The outdoors is big enough for everybody. And on Kinder, you know, by the downfall, it's busy. But just five minutes away, you've got the world to yourself, which is a a really special, really special thing. So, yeah. And, and I think COVID's been a horrible situation for everybody, but actually it's opened a lot of people's eyes into the awareness of how much beauty is actually on our doorstops. Our yeah. CEO, Luca, he keeps saying that he doesn't want to go abroad anymore. In fact, he's just bought a camper van because they've gone to North Wales and actually the beaches were stunning. And why, yes. why would he ever want to go anywhere else now that he's, yeah. he's seen these things? Yeah. So I hope that actually we keep a, a few more tourists in the UK yeah. to grow the industries. And I think a lot of people have found a lot of peace and solace in the outdoors and seeing the changing seasons and how the same same walk through the seasons can be quite different and little nature moments of seeing what happens and have you guys seen an increase in sales related to or more people should I say coming to you because they've been venturing in recreation or do you think your increase in sales has been part of your growth trajectory anyway uh, there's definitely there's been a huge increase in the whole industry has seen a lot of uh, increase right now but we're a small brand we're tiny compared to the big picture. So I think a lot of how we do is down to what we actually do ourselves and we try and keep in control of our of our little ship out kit. You say that you're a small fish, but actually you guys have just had a huge success on Crowdcube. And yeah. I know it's not the numbers that, you know, North Face and the big brands will be spending, but to make 1.5 million from crowdfunding in 44 minutes yeah. is outstanding. It's something that so many brands aspire to do and, and don't have the success. Yeah. Why do you think Outkit was so successful with that crowdfunding piece? I'll never forget that morning. It was like 10 past 8, 29th of June. It was it was fantastic. We were all watching people invest in Outkit. And I think it's a real validation of what we've been trying to do. And it's, it's a moment where there's a deep connection with our, with our customers as they, as they chose to invest. And I think it reflects the essence of a brand that people do care and do buy into our ethos and our values, where we are trying to make... Well, we, we celebrate and love the outdoors, first and foremost. We make great products, proud of our sustainability. And there's an aspect with the Outkit Foundation that we get involved and we give back a lot. And I think that overall ethos is something that customers who get to know us really value. Thankfully, you know, 1,500 customers that wanted to invest. We always wanted to, or we like the idea of opening up Outkit shareholding to customers and to staff. So hit our target in eight minutes and then close 44 minutes later was just fantastic. Amazing. What did you give those who invested in the company in return? The main aspect was just to be part of the journey. I know a lot of 
brands have particularly on Crowdcube, you kind of encourage to give shareholder perks. And we were fairly light on the shareholder perks. So we don't really fall into that club where you can become a shareholder and get a percentage discount. What I really wanted to do was for customers who know and like us to be in a position where they could be in a pub, see something, see outkit that other people are wearing and think, I own a bit of that. That's what I wanted to do. And hopefully, well, we, we promised to customers that over the long term, they'll see a financial return. And since then, we've been getting really valuable feedback. So we've had uh, product sessions and we've had a forums where they've, we've talked about the strategy of the company and just being able to consult and inform with such a broad base of people. It's really good for us to to listen to how a shareholder is feeling for shareholders to contribute and they can support us in our growth. And it's amazing how perceptive <laughs> that people are. And I mean, that's the wonderful learning is that customers see what a brand is and understand them. And let's be honest, this is something that they, they share their passion with you. So you met, you touched on the OutKit Foundation. Was that something that you guys started at the beginning of the journey? Or is this something that came out as a result of your values developing? So we set up in 2015. So it was pretty much straight away that I got involved. Um, and it, the idea came because we got um, offered for late space in one of the big walking magazines for £300 to have an ad. Um, and I knew at that time that in the Peak Park, for the one to 300 quid, kids in Manchester and Sheffield couldn't, were skipping a uh, you know, field trip to the Peak Park because people couldn't afford, afford it. And I know as well, those special moments, people remember those field trips for life and you can kind of just get a spark going a moment where you can start a lifelong love of the outdoors. So I thought rather than spend £300 on an ad- ad- advert in a magazine which should be gone tomorrow, wouldn't it be better to give £300 to a school to be able to afford a, a trip to, to the Peak Park? And so we set up the foundation as an independent charity. Uh, four directors of OutKit are trustees, but we're outnumbered because we've got customer trustees, staff trustees, um, independent trustees, who really help us and we just give small awards, so less than 500 quid. So we give between 50 quid and 500 quid to a lot of projects. And we've given over 300, almost 370 grand now to about 1300 projects. It ends up being about 40% of our profits. The thing it means first of all, which is we are profitable, which (laughs) I am really, really thankful for. And it's it's great to be able to give that, some, some of that back. And we do see it as our social dividend. One thing that's important for us is to recognize this sense of place that we're only here in the Peak Park because of the work that the Ranger Service does, that outdoor education providers does, that brands do, that customers do. Um, and too many people have just see a transactional aspect with the outdoors. And it's, it's far more important than that. And we've worked with some really inspiring people um, and when you get the reports coming back of the projects that we've helped, it is really, really touching. Some uh, a gentleman left us some money in his will, and I've got the letter on my desk here, because I just think when it's almost to mention the Outkit Foundation in the will, it, we are touching something, and the responsibility that goes that comes with that, you know, we take it seriously, um, that, that responsibility, and it, it, it is it's special. I think it's more connecting. So off the back back of the the foundation, we've developed the Continuum Project, which is where we take back any any unused, any gear that anybody wants to use and we'll find a home for it. So rather than just sending it to recycling or to get it back into the textile stream, 
we find a home which say it can be there's a guy we're about to start working with in manchester who works with homeless people to get homeless people running so we can and it's wonderful to be involved in those kind of projects and we can get customers hooked up together with people who are making a real difference um, and to be part of that is is special and is your repair offering part of that continuum project again it's very very similar but that also was a deliberate um People love kit. We want it to last a long time. And we're into we, our ethos. We describe it as gear you'll love longer. And we'll repair any brand of product. But that's we, we'd see it as a commercial aspect. So it's not a marketing spin. So every store, we can we accept product. And we have seamsters who will mend. And it's they're working, um, might not be in every store every day, but we've got seamsters working every day repairing projects, repairing stuff. And we repaired about 2,000 um gar garments this year so far um but it's, it's commercial for us you know we we it's a paid for service we, we charge in a you know it's we we cover our costs it's not a big profit making thing but we cover we cover our costs and it, again it, it we've had people bring old pairs of gloves spending 25 pounds to get the repair done properly when it's 70 pounds to do a new to buy a new pair of gloves but for that person, you know, you're carrying on the story with with that product. It's very, very special. So I absolutely would really, not really get good. rid of my mittens. My yeah. skin mittens I've had forever. I love yeah. them. They've been with me through everything. I would 100% get them stitched up over yeah. anything else. And you're right, they weren't expensive. Um, but they're comfortable. They're tailored to me now because I've had yeah. them so long. And, and actually, there's not many... I know there's cross stitch and super stitch, those fast places there, but they're not going to do a job that you feel you're happy to give your sentimental product to like that. So yeah. I, I really like the idea. And yes, of course, it drives us into your stores. And of course, it makes us, you know, probably buy something else while we're in there. Yeah. But the offering encourages people to think sustainability, sustainable about yeah. what they're wearing. Yeah. And that goes a long way. Yes, totally, totally. So it's, it's really important. And that's why it wasn't set up as a marketing aspect. It was set up to make gear last longer. And the upside of that, we can modify packs. So a particular guy wanted a daisy chain on the inside so he could have a pack rather than the outside. So he could hang, you know, arrange stuff how he wanted. We do a lot of work with Mountain Rescue so that they can, they've got something where you just unzip the whole pack and the pack falls apart and inside you've got all of the, the first aid equipment laid out, easily Velcroed in. So these are the kind of like products that we can make um, and we've made stuff for big wall climbs and for Arctic conditions, that, that kind of thing. So how do people find out about that? Is it word of mouth? Is that like your biggest channel or are there other communication channels which you find? majority of customers come through word of mouth is like the number one absolutely the number one i really believe in that first degree marketing so i've got friends who are foodies friends who like the theater or watch film and sport kind of aspect and, and i think working with those kind of people and I, I hope that that you know in kind of little social social groups people who know the outdoors will get to know outkit and that encouraging that marketing has been at the core of what we what we do and we kind of we only survive because of the you know existing customers and the experience that they have shopping with us and we know how vital that is and we don't always get it right you know we you know at times we have terrible stock flow problems and we stuff up orders when you we just shouldn't um and thankfully um customers are very understanding of those kind of situations 
it's inevitable in a pandemic as well. You've everyone's kind of got a pass at the moment because trying to get anything yeah. logistically is is challenging. Um, I joked on here a couple of weeks ago that I'm still waiting for some sofas that we ordered over six months ago. You know, I'm sure they'll come eventually, but yeah, it's not going to be any time soon. Yeah, that word of mouth piece is really interesting. Do you encourage it with um, voucher incentives, or do you think it is full intrinsic? Um, we don't do voucher incentives. Uh, I think, in a way, um, attaching a monetary value to that. I don't think necessarily people people don't make a recommendation because of the tenor that they might get discount off something. People make a re- recommendation genuinely. So, rather than incentivize it, I prefer to spend that tenor on giving good service that people want to talk about in the first place. I think the essence of it is celebrating the outdoors, celebrating outdoor enthusiasts, sharing our love of product. Is that is that what makes your, because you mentioned it a couple of times now, your customer service excellent? Is it the way you talk to customers? Is it the fact that they're the people who are serving are also outdoor enthusiasts? Or is there more to it in terms of how they deal with the customers? Well, we try and be there for the customer no, no matter. So we do want to do that. And with the products, we... Um, they come with the guarantee we call it the alpine bond where you know and we're specific about it to really just show that how serious are so everything's got a three-year guarantee which is quite wow rare um and our uk made stuff is is longer guarantee so we do have a good reputation for customer service um and i'm thankful for that and you know this hard earned and easily lost uh reputation um so I'm really appreciative of that. But for us, I think it comes really from wanting to do what we do. So it's not something that's necessarily deliberate. I think sometimes it can. If someone's passionate about something, it's natural. As we said earlier, they're, they're part of the community. They're more likely to identify with who they're dealing with. And actually, yeah. it, it snowballs as, a, yeah. as an effect. It's, the passion is infectious. The happiness is infectious. The interest. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've obviously got bricks and mortar stores and you've got e-commerce. So you're looking to master both the e-com world and the store world. Your new store's opening in Bristol, if it hasn't already by now. Yeah. Will you continue to invest in those physical presences? Yeah, we like stores. For us, it's it's the physical embodiment of the digital world. Um, and we try very much in the digital world. It can, like I said before, it can feel very transactional, whereas the love of the outdoors is an emotional, sensual thing. And so we try to get across the sense to the senses and appeal to the emotions. And having um, the physicality of stores really, really help that. Um, and it also means that you meet you meet your customers. You know, you meet all customers. Sometimes in a digital world, you, you, the customers who buy from us, they don't you never see them. You, you never hear from them. So it's really nice to be able to spend time with your customers, with the people who buy and the people who don't buy um, overall. And we do like the stores. And for us, the stores work really well. We see that our web sales are better in areas that we've got stores and obviously ignoring the store sales themselves. And customers who shop first in store do go to buy from us online, but they also go back to the store. You know, so I think it, reflects that sometimes you can get in a digital world you can forget a little bit that behind all the digi- all of the people people behind all the facebook groups they are real people and real people with real experiences um and having our stores so we can share those real experiences is 
is good. And we have the aspects like the repair station and continuum. And we also run a lot of uh, courses. We call them School of Adventure. So I think it'd be, it's a challenge if you're in Manchester or Bristol and you want to try something new or take your kids climbing. How do you find a guide? And it can be a bit potluck. So there's stores having events where people can try something new in an environment where we're linking together guides with with customers is a really powerful powerful side and um, we had a, a winter gravel series a bike ride from each of the stores and it was ace in january to be riding with 150 people going out for a ride is is, is pretty special. yeah yeah i know I, I really like the idea of the connection with the customers and actually the location of your stores makes sense from yeah. that perspective you are in those areas of natural beauty the areas that where people are going to go and investigate so yeah um I think the, the, the connection of the two makes a lot of sense. It's yeah. also, I agree with you, a physical presence just reminds you. But it's yeah. just funny because um, the chairman of JD, I listened to him talk a couple of weeks ago, and he was like, yeah, stores are great, but they need to find what they want online and then come and buy it in store. Yeah, Actually, with your products, I would imagine the majority of consumers want to try them on. Totally. It, it's got to be a, like an actual hands-on look and feel not necessarily because it's an emotive product but it's a product they're going to be living in or they're going to have to carry it's yeah. the the where you go with an outdoor piece of equipment is yeah. it's, it's a bigger relationship it's not just another t-shirt it's uh, and because um all the staff are trained is the other aspect is you know we design our own products and we've got a really good group of designers working for us and those designers then take all of the customer service staff and all the store staff on the hill so they can explain why a pocket is the way it is why they've chosen a particular fabric on the front and the back why you might have different pocket configurations if you're a bloke or a woman kind of aspect and um i think it's really great being able to go to a store and have through the store the store staff have the voice of the designer and also give feedback that makes it way back to the designer definitely so what do you think is going to be the biggest challenge for Outkit um, next year, 2022? Oh, it's stock is and stock flow and supply chain is just, I've never experienced anything like it, not knowing. We're talking about bikes and there's a particular component, some particular kind of brake caliper that there's a four year waiting list for. And this little, you know, this little caliper is, is got its moment in fame where nobody has it. <laughs> How's that happened? But, and I just, I don't really fully understand how we can be 18 months into, into the pandemic and we're still experiencing these kind of, these kind of supply challenges and freight is incredibly complex and incredibly challenging. So I think there's a kind of real life, real kind of experience of, just managing stock and I fear that it'll just hold up on innovation that when you've got so many supply chain challenges you're concentrating on so much trying to get the stuff that you want that you you don't spend as much time developing innovation. So excluding Outkit what's your other favourite e-commerce brand right now? Well actually it's probably World of Books I, I love World of Books because they kind of sell secondhand and they've got a slick service, and I like them a lot. And they're another B Corp, um, and I like them to work in a operate in a world where you've got head to head with Amazon. I've got a lot a lot of time for World of Books, so I like that mix of secondhand books and um, new. So I hadn't done my research. I didn't realise you were a B Corp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What made you do it? 
Um, well, really, is as we were growing, um, and for staff, we did it a lot to give the framework so we could explain how we're balancing the contradictions of sustainability when you're a brand of how do you compare social justice in the supply chain for cotton with the kind of aspects of renewable energy in the UK and that kind of aspect. So how the B Corp framework is a really, I trust the framework a lot and I trust the, the UN Sustainable uh, Development Goals a lot as a framework to work within. The downside to B Corp is it comes across as the gamification of sustainability because you get points. So it's very hard not to um, look at the points that you get and try, to score, and try and score more. But I guess that's just appealing to that competitiveness of human behaviour. Um, well, it's clearly worked with you, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> do yeah. you, it's interesting because we've had a few people talk about B Corp now, but a lot of them find that either the cost is prohibitive to start with because it's quite yeah. a large investment, yeah. or actually your first year of B Corp, you're trying to implement the frameworks. You actually don't have to have necessarily started your sustainable journey. You have to work on implementing the processes. You're actually quite a sustainable business in the first place. So have you found yeah. that year easier? So it wasn't a lot of, the. we came to B Corp after we did some work um ethical consumer magazine in uh helping us articulate our, our principles a lot clearer we published our principles uh, our ethos on our website which was quite unique in 2004 um and it's something we did a lot internally and so we actually found the move to b corp wasn't a great leap for us there's a lot to do with just um doing the small things and doing the small things first so things like uh using renewable energy throughout and limiting use of fossil fuels and working with suppliers to make sure you the social justice and supply chain which is the kind of thing you do anyway but that's still for us still we're only just on the journey still we've got to do a lot on um our use of energy in our supply chain and use more lower impact materials in our supply chain so we've actually signed up to the um uh, science-based targets the goals so we, we're doing our bit to limit the impact of global warming well done. It's, it's no easy feat to introduce that into a supply chain that I can hear already is so complicated as yours yeah. Yeah. Um, and has, has so different, so many different components and factors that go into it. So, yeah, yeah well, well done. Um, and so, OK, so World of, World of Books is your favourite brand right now. If you could ask um, anyone a question in the e-commerce space, what do you think it would be? What would you like to know? That's a hard question, Natalie. I, I'd like asking what what's your favourite natural place? Where do you like to hang out? That's just so wonderful. I just like I kind of like talking about that. Where do you like to hang out outdoors? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. I will I will take it to our next guest and, and let you know. Um, I think that's been really interesting. Honestly, the sustainability piece, we talk about it quite a bit on here, but that's because every business is thinking about it at the moment or every business that we work with and kind of talk because it's part of our approach as well. And it's fascinating the different routes people take in order to achieve it because we're all trying to achieve the same thing yeah, at the end of the day. But there are lots of different ways in order to get there. And I think depending on the size and scale of your business, it almost determines that. Yeah. Um, and and we need the bigger businesses to yeah, I think actually my because having worked in big big businesses and is getting in early get it into your thinking early and make space for it early so much easier doing it from the start yeah. rather than trying to retrofit it 
completely think you're right. And actually, I think it would be hard now to found a business that wasn't sustainable, mm. just because I'm not sure how receptive the industry would be to it. How the hell do you go from creating an outdoor brand, doing all of these wonderful things, to then creating a festival? It, we've got it coming up in September. Um, <laughs> and it says putting it on. And when you're there and you've got a thousand people midnight on Saturday night, the band are playing, you just, and you've got outkit staff, outkit customers, people who've never heard of us before, and you really think this is so special, it can't fail. We can't let it fail that kind of aspect was it just an idea was it just something that someone said let's try a festival out there are out there adventure festivals ice climbing festivals in france so they existed internationally and and since we've started the big shakeout festival there's been similar ones to start i think we we were one of the first people to do it in the uk and it's because you can i mean there's loads of things we started that didn't work we started an online streaming channel that was a we weren't good at the festival is very special but as a digital brand you're looking for um ways you can work with customers and get to know customers in a a completely different way that's we're actively doing that i've i've booked my tickets for the big shakeout so i can't wait are you coming of course yeah i saw it and i was like well this this is perfect this sounds right on my street this sold out in about half an hour yeah it did we'll see you we'll say hello well honestly it's been such a pleasure talking to you today um not just to stare at your family photos behind you of all the no you won't be able to see there's a glare coming back you've been <laughs> yeah um but no it's been really interesting i will definitely be shopping on outkit later today not just because i'm about to go on holiday and i'm about to go hiking um yeah. but i'm just really interested to to see because uh, yeah i am someone who holds on to my outdoor kit for years and years and years and never wants yeah. to get rid of it because I love the quality and the new quality isn't there. So, well, like I say, thank you ever so much for your time, David. I really, really do appreciate it.